Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Back on the program, I've got John Barrows. And uh, if you hopefully listen to it, uh, we did an episode, episode number 59. And by the way, that is, in the last 30 days, top three uh, most listened to episodes. And it was on how to set up an SDR team for success. So if you haven't listened to that yet, go back and listen to it. You don't have to listen to it before this episode. It's not like it's Game of Thrones or anything, but uh, it's great to have John back on the program. He runs Jay Barrow's Sales Training, and he's got a podcast that I highly uh, recommend you guys tune into um, where he covers a lot more sales tips and sales content. And the reason that I have John on our program, which is primarily listened to uh, marketers is, let's face it, these two teams are, you know, there's no big wall or shouldn't be between sales and marketing. It's one team working together to drive revenue and growth. And because of John's expertise in sales training, enablement, and success, I've wanted to have him back on the program. So John, welcome back. How you been? Great, David. Thanks for having me back on, man. I love the first conversation. I'm looking forward to this one. What is the best place to find your podcast? Do you find, you know, I study where people listen to mine, and clearly Apple has done a great job because everybody listens either on an iPhone or through iTunes. And yes, there are Android and others, but, um, and, you know, my podcast is available on any streaming app. Are there, are there any particular ones that you want to direct your audience to or easy ways to find it? I'm trying to get uh, authorized to go on Spotify. I think we're going through the process right now. But yeah, iTunes is pretty much it. Uh, we do Google Play too, so you can get it on either one of those. And it's actually called the uh, Make It Happen podcast. Yeah. So it's uh, if you go on my website, you'll find it. But yeah, that's the easiest way to figure it out. Search for Make It Happen. All right, cool. Um, yeah, we did a cliffhanger last time. And we were just about to talk about context versus content. I know it's a topic and theme that you are very passionate about, but not speaking about. So I'd love for you to just, you know, kick us off and start there if you could. Yeah. And I think this is to me because, you know, yes, I'm in sales and I've been in sales for now 20 plus years, but my background's originally in marketing. Uh, that's what I got my degree in because back then you really couldn't get your degree in sales. And I didn't even know there was, you know, I didn't really even know what sales was. So marketing, um, and I've seen that the, the market, I've heard people <laughs> talking about the sales and marketing divide for 22 years, ever since I came out of college and I still hear them talking about it today. Um, you know, and there's all these technologies that are trying to solve the problem. But I think that what I'm starting to really hone in on right now is what we as sales reps need to do to pay attention to so that we don't get replaced by marketing because marketing is coming upstream very, very fast with all the artificial intelligence, with all the insights that they're gathering and how much more personalized they're becoming with account-based marketing and everything else. Yes. And sales reps, you know, you, you, you sit there and you look at it. And sales, you know, technology is becoming more personalized and sales is actually becoming more templatized and more generic, right? And you don't need to be Nostradamus here to figure out where this goes for the profession of sales. So what I think is something that will help align sales and marketing is this the whole thing of context content. And I stole this from Gary Vaynerchuk. So, you know, he, he had said a long time ago, 
And this actually, this is one of the first things that got my attention about him and, start, and got me to start following him. But he has said that, you know, everybody talks about content is king, content is king. He said, fine, if content is king, then context is God. And, and that got me thinking about sales and marketing, right? And for me, or my opinion here, marketing is content and sales is context. Yes. If we as sales professionals are not putting any context around the content that's being put out there, we're, at, we're no different than marketing. And I have no idea why we're getting paid to do what we do. You know, and some examples here are, um, you know, blasting out template emails. Okay. I mean, you guys can do this better than I can. So there's the sales efficiency tools that are out there, the sales lofts, the outreach IOs, the yes, where's the tout apps, right? And they're supposed to be sales efficiency tools and making sales reps lives more efficient and whatever, but they're being used as sales automation tools. And all reps are doing are taking template emails that marketing usually comes up with, putting them into a sales loft cadence and just pressing play. And I fundamentally don't understand why I need a sales rep to do that. No, you could automate all those functions. If, if, if the buyer's journey, which we probably should dig into that, if the buyer's journey was so programmatic and so precision-based in terms of the time and effort, which we used to think elements of it was, but it's not, as we know. And so, yeah, if, if there's a cadence of communication and content, to your point about if you've got the right content and you know contextually when to provide it to your buyer during that AIDA, you know, awareness, interest, desire, action. If you could time it exactly right, you wouldn't need sales at all, right? You could just, you know, drop into a website. Um, and and I'm being facetious there, but it's not that, right? Buying is a matrix. However, John, to get the context and content right, sales and marketing needs to get in rooms together and talk about the buyer's journey from the sake of here's where your buyer is today. Here's what life is like for them now. These are the tools that they're using, or these are the things that they're doing, and we have to take them through a transformation. At some point with our product, life is going to be better, their problems are going to be solved, and there's a huge you know, void between where they are today and where they are to get to. And it's that, it's that engagement, and it's the content that will help them understand the story of why they're going to go from where they are to this happily ever after place. And if we do it well together, we being sales and marketing, then we're going to move them on that journey. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and this, you know, in a perfect example of that context content with getting everybody together is, you know, I look at sales reps and how sales reps get onboarded. Okay. And, you know, they go through their boot camp or whatever. And let's talk about the ICP, right? That ideal customer profile. Yeah. Well, what they, what a sales rep gets is their territory. And here's your ideal customer profile. Companies between 10 and 200 employees, they're in these industries. And here's a list of 5,000 of them go. And so, okay, the sales rep says, okay, I guess that's my ideal customer profile. They start calling into that list with a generic pitch and whatever. But they don't really understand why is that an ideal customer profile? What are the nuances here? So when I'm looking at my territory and all the thousand names that I have to call, which ones should I be actually putting some effort into? Because they're, they're, they're more of that ICP than anything else, and I understand that. So when I go to a website, what are the things that I can look for? So context content, instead of just giving it to them and saying, here's our ICP and here's your territory, go. It's, hey, uh, why don't we bring the sales reps in? And as part of the onboarding process, we have them look through our existing customer list. 
Uh, we have them segment out and read through the case studies and understand really what makes a client a good customer for us. And we bring in not just the sales VP or the marketing VP to come in and talk to them about the ICP, but we bring in customer service, we bring in finance, sales, and marketing, the heads of each one of those departments, and we have a conversation about why is why why are these our best customers, right? Because sales is going to say the ones who spend the most money with us, customer success is going to be the ones that say with least pain in the ass, finance is going to say the most profitable, and marketing is going to say the ones that was you know that, that you know fit what we think is our ICP. Yeah. But if you somewhere in the middle there is really the true ICP. And by a sales rep understanding that, now all of a sudden when they're looking at their territory and having conversations with people and you know, and learning about the case studies of the people that are, now they can have better stories to tell those people and it becomes an easier sale. And they have a better context around why they're calling into these people and what difference do they actually make. It's the same thing with the personas. I'll pick on that. Most marketing departments do a really good job putting one page or slicks together about the ICP of their client. And it's like, oh, look at Sally. She's a CTO and Sally likes innovation. So, he, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so the sales rep's like, okay, uh, hi, Sally. You know, we help companies innovate. And they go through the motions of, of just regurgitating that text content to the potential buyer. Whereas what I've done with my, my new hire and Morgan, bringing them on board, same thing that I did with him at the ICP of go look at our customers and really help you tell me what our ICP is instead of me telling you, let me give you the structure for it. Same thing with personas. Look, here's the three personas that we typically sell to Morgan. Uh, there's the industries. Go do some research on these people. Go into Google and type in uh, VPs of enablement, uh, SaaS industry priorities, 2018. Come back to me and tell me what are the top priorities of VPs of sales enablement in the SaaS industry in 2018 and almost write like a one page book report for me. And now, and so I had him do that for VPs of sales, VPs of enablement and VPs of marketing and VPs of customer success. And so now when he speaks to those people, he has context around why our solution is, is, is a really good fit for them in those situations based on their priorities and can ask better questions. He has better insights. So, you know, this whole idea of getting people together and having the conversation around this stuff so people understand and then being able to articulate why this stuff is important to them based on the context is where I think the connective tissue is. And it's also what will keep sales reps relevant because there's always going to be a, a place for sales, in yes. my opinion. Of course. Right? People of course. buy from people. They always have. They always will. Yes, it's moving further and further upstream as far as how much people are willing to spend. But ultimately, people want to talk to somebody when they're buying a B2B solution that's anything north of you know five ten thousand dollars We just can't be the robots that, that force the people through that, you know, that linear process of sales, of qualify, ask my bank questions, present demo, send proposal, give discount, close. Like that's, I don't need a rep to do that. Yeah, I mean, the more our world uh, and the way that we engage with content and products evolves, the role of sales is certainly gonna change just as the role of marketing has changed. Mm -hmm. I think what we could do today a little bit, John, is share some stories about how I've seen it work with our clients uh, mm -hmm. and you the same. So, for example, we just, you know, John and I just say you should get in a room together. But, but let me bring some structure to that and tell you what we've seen some of our clients do and what we've helped them with. Getting in the room together, let's start with content and context where John is. So how do you make that happen? Well, if you hired a new salesperson tomorrow you have no idea 
they have no idea rather what your greatest hits content is that, you know, you've been producing content forever. Our blog, for example, has, I don't know if it's hundreds or thousands of posts. Um, you know, I'm approaching 70 podcasts. And while I remember, you know, that your last podcast with me was 59, um, our sales reps certainly, certainly haven't listened to all 60 some odd podcasts. So we have to go to them and say, here is our content library. And here's all the resources that we have. And not just in a spreadsheet, but to put them up on the wall around different stages of the buying process. So that if you're engaging with a prospect and you're early stage in the awareness, these are some of the greatest hits content that are going to help you for this either scenario or this type of buyer. And what I mean by that, John, is, you know, um, I'm, I'm, a storyteller. I'm, you know, been working on uh, workshops that I'm just going to start doing um, next month, uh, keynotes and workshops on the power of storytelling so that I can help take all the, the experience that I have in neuromarketing and neuroscience, the power of content, and teach marketers and salespeople how to become better storytellers. So one of the things that I share is you know, your case studies. Most case studies look like they've been written by marketing and have a quote or two from the customer. A good case study actually is an entire story of your customer's journey and how they lived yeah. happily ever after. The entire yeah. case study should be that way. You don't even need to write anything about you and your company or your product. Just tell the story of, of your customer. And if we teach sales what are our greatest hits content and when to use them and provide them ideas, then they're, then they're better armed to know when to pull those out digitally or what have you and bring them forward. And I, we have to teach sales the stories, not, not how our product works. We have to tell them three, four, five different stories of the most common stories that they're going to run up against. So if, for example, if someone, let's, let's use home automation, which was a topic I was talking about with a friend yesterday. All right, most people in the world right now in their homes have manual switches, manual plugs, um, and regular, I think you'd call it incandescent lighting, not LED lighting. Well, mm -hmm. for anyone to switch to home automation, they need to understand why. And it's certainly not describing to them what an Insteon light switch does or how it works. It's right. telling a story like, and I'll pretend I'm you, John. So, um, you know, forever I'd lived in this home. This home's 100 years old. It's a beautiful home. There's so much history here. And, um, you know, there's just, uh, there's all these light switches just all over the house. We've got a lot of different bulbs. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if someday I didn't have to run around the house at night and turn off all the light switches? Because, gosh, when I had kids, you know, they turn on all the lights and the lights stay on and my electric bill goes up. And, you know, I, I, I just thought there's, there's got to be a better way to save money on electricity. And, you know, automate this, this function. So I did some research I found online. I uh, looked at some YouTube videos, found some people who really love this one. I brought it in. I plugged in my, I'm going to use a brand. I plugged in my Insteon hub. I changed out some light switches, created some groups, and now my electrical system is fully automated and all those problems have gone away. And I absolutely love it. And I couldn't imagine life without my home Insteon system. By the way, this is not sponsored by Insteon. I just made that up off the fly. But if we were out, you know, teaching reps how to sell Insteon home automation systems, 
we would have to teach them those stories. And one might be, you know, the, the homeowner who's lived in a hundred year old house, which is worried that they can't even bring it into the 21st century. Another might be small business, right? So we got to give them those different customer profiles and then arm them with the stories so that when they're talking to someone, let's say it's someone off the web in a chat system, they are armed now with the story that they can replay and tell the John Barrow's 100-year-old home story and how he automated his home and lived happily ever after, right? Yeah, and it, you know, it's funny because it still blows me away. I, you know, and I, till, I still take calls and prospecting calls and qualification calls where, you know, inbound lead or whatever, where somebody still says to me, we're making the switch um, from feature function sale to solution sale. And I'm like, what? Congratulations. I, I, I try to I try not to be rude, but I'm like, that feature function, like whether it worked at all ever, sure, it probably did. But I, I kind of talk about pre and post internet, okay? Look, pre internet, it was our job as sales professionals to to sell features and functions and explain to people the details of what we did because there was no real other way of finding that out. You know what I mean? So we were a walking brochure for the most part. Post-internet, the information's out there, right? And, and the feature function stuff, that might play when, you know, you obviously have to go through it at a certain stage of the sales process, but nobody remembers that shit. The only thing they remember is stories. I mean, that's historically is, I mean, you know, better than I do is as a society, that's how we've passed down, edu- you know, our learnings is through stories and, and that type of stuff. And so people remember that. And so teaching reps features and functions, I actually think it does them a disservice to stuff product knowledge down their throat for the first two to three weeks of their onboarding process and get them to memorize the slide deck and all the features and functions and that type of stuff. Because then when they get out into the, you know, into the world and start prospecting into clients and having conversations, that's the only thing that they have to fall back on. And because that's what they, they, they their head has been stuffed with all this information. And so now they feel like they have to talk to everybody about it because that's what they know. But nobody wants to hear all that shit. The only people want to, the, the, again, that's marketing's job. Tell me marketing, give me that slick about the features and functions, put a little video together on some cool stuff about what this thing can actually do, show me how it works. But a sales rep needs to make that connection with me as a human being and tell me a story and make it relatable to me so I can picture myself in that scenario and then guide me along the process. I actually think the more I, you know, some people think you need to be an industry expert to to sell. I I actually disagree. I think unless you were at the upper echelon of industry experts, I actually think the more you know, the the more the the worse you are in sales. Because my opinion of sales is you need to know enough about how to ask the right questions, uncover the needs, and enough about your solution to connect the dots for the client and then get the hell out of the way. And let the quote unquote smart kids actually work on the details, right? Like the, you know, the, the sales engineer and all that stuff to work through the details there. But you, you're a facilitator as a sales rep. And so the more, you know, sometimes the harder it is. Like I'll give you an example. When I come in and I work with clients on, on uh, messaging, right? I talk about the elevator pitch and how shitty the elevator pitch is. Like, you know, the historical, we're the leading provider of whatever. And I talk about attention grabbers. What can you say in the first five to 15 seconds of a conversation to get somebody to say, tell me more, how do you do that, right? So going back to your AIDA, that's the exact Mm -hmm. connective tissue that I use for sales marketing. Attention, we have five to 15 seconds to get someone's attention. Interest, that, you know, maybe two minutes there, um, and then desire and action. 
And where I think marketing does a really good job, marketing does a really good job on the air cover, right? Where it's like the brand awareness. And then they do a really good job on the eye phase. So like once you and I are engaged, okay, marketing content is actually pretty legit, right? Here's here's all the details. But where marketing tends to fail and where I see sales needing the most help is the A phase, is the attention. Literally as a sales rep, what do I say in the first five to 15 seconds of a conversation to get somebody to go tell me more? How do you do that? And what I use, the easiest thing to use on this, and I'll talk about how this actually relates to the sales and marketing alignment as well, is case studies, but not the case study, the actual ultimate end of the case study, which should be the result you were able to drive for that client. So, so what happens is I go in and I, cr- I craft my own messaging for the client to, to kind of show them what it looks like. But all literally all I do, I look at obviously to do my prep for the client, I look at their website, I read through the materials and everything else. But all I do is I go to a case study, I look at the bottom and I say, okay, you know, and I take out the, the line that says, at the end of the day, we were able to drive this type of result for our business, right? And I turn that into my attention grabber. So what I can say is, hey, we showed this client in your industry how to drive these type of results and I'd love to talk to you about it. And I'll come up with like four or five different examples based on their cut. And literally, when I tell you this, David, I, I, it takes me, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And when I put it up on the up, up, up on the screen and show people those examples, they're like, oh, my God. And then I put it into like a quick little format for a voicemail. Hey, the reason for my call today is we show our clients how to do da 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 And I'd love to have or we showed this client recently in your industry how to drive these type of results. You've had a very similar profile. I'd love to have that conversation with you. It, when I do that, it's like, oh, my God, like, could you sell for us? And, the, the, and the, my point is, is like, I, because I know just enough to be dangerous is why I could be more successful than probably 75 to 80% of the reps in the room making cold calls because I don't think too hard about it. And, and one more piece on this, well, two more pieces. One is that to me is the difference between sales and marketing language. Sale marketing language is on average, our clients see a or up to a 35% increase in whatever sales language is no, no, no. We showed this company in your industry how to do this exact thing. And this was the result they got. Absolutely. And, and now you want to talk about sales and marketing alignment. My favorite way, forget about technology. Okay. Uh, there isn't a technology, again, 22 years I've been hearing the same problem. Here is something that every single person listening to this podcast right now can go do right now with not one extra piece of technology. And it aligns sales, marketing, and it helps sales reps from a business intelligence standpoint. All you got to do is my favorite way of running a call blitz, for instance, is to reverse engineer a case study. And what you do is the marketing comes in. And because business acumen is not something, you know, somebody asked me recently, John, if you could go back and tell your 22 year old self something, what would it be? You know, my first answer to that was actually AB split testing. But my second answer to that was take my business acumen a lot more proactive, be a lot more proactive with my business acumen. Because to me, business acumen was a byproduct of my activities, right? I just kind of learned along the way where now I would go back and I would be way more proactive about it. Mm -hmm. But sales reps aren't. So marketing can help. So here's an example. Marketing comes in and does a lunch and learn. Okay. And says to everybody, let's reverse engineer this case study. Here, here's a result we were able to drive for this company. Okay. Now, because that message, not that, that becomes my attention grabber. So now that's what I say on the phone. Hey, the reason for my call today is we showed this company in your industry how to do this. Okay. Now, because that fits a very specific profile, now I can come up with two or three questions that are relevant to that profile, right? So say it's CIOs in the healthcare industry. Well, 
the CIOs in the healthcare industry have different needs than CIOs in the manufacturing industry, right? And they have, they have different priorities than CIOs in the healthcare industry did two years ago. So let's do a little bit of homework instead of stuffing down the ICP and the personas down these, th these kids' throats. Everybody open up their laptop, do a little bit of homework on what do CIOs in the healthcare industry in 2018 care about? And let's come up with some questions that are relevant to their priorities, okay? Yep. So now yep. I have my message. I have two or three questions that are very specifically relevant to that persona. So now I'm learning something about that persona and I'm being part of it, not told to it. And now I have a story to tell, a case study, right? And we practice how to tell that story. So now with this simple little package, we then run a list of everybody in everybody's territory that fits that profile. And then at the end of that lunch, from what, you know, maybe do a little role play or whatever it is. And then at one o'clock, everybody goes out back to the phones and has a list of 25, 30, 40 people that they call that fits that profile, and we run a call blitz. And marketing sits in on that call blitz to listen to how that messaging is actually being, you know, being translated and also being received. And so now you get a 10, say 10 sales reps, making cold calls all into one persona with one message, with a bunch of questions that are relevant to them and a story to tell. And you say, hey, the reason for my call today is we show CIOs in healthcare. And then you do a little back and napkin math. You keep a pen and paper next to each one of their desks. And you do how many, how many calls, how many referrals, how many meetings did you set up? So now in 10, you know, in an hour, fully prepped, 20, you know, you're not doing research on those calls or anything like that. Like you have that message down. It's an hour. Each rep can probably make 20, 25 dials, something like that, 10 reps. You now have 250 data points that you can look at and have immediate feedback to marketing right? Because that's the other thing that's broken is the feedback loop from sales to marketing. Mm -hmm. So now in, in two hours, once a week, grab a case study, educate the sales team, come up with a message, go after a very specific set of customers with a very specific message questions, figure out what the conversion ratios are, and, and you have sales and marketing alignment. Awesome. So let me ask you this, what you prescribed and the, the content room that I talked about earlier, these are techniques that work. In fact, when I wrote Manufacturing Demand, my first book, I talked about you know Denzel Washington, the movie Training Day, that sales and marketing should get in the car together, you know, figuratively, um, and and do this because you learn so much in marketing in terms of how unprepared your sales team is to be out there in the war for minds and customers, and you'll you'll realize that. You know, the content that you've created has been architected and designed in a way that is maybe not ideal. First of all, it's it's very difficult for them to regurgitate a data sheet on your product or capabilities, right? They can tell a story. People can tell a story. You know, think about the, the Insteon lighting story that I, you know, threw out off my hip. You probably remember some elements of that, which was a few minutes ago because I told it as a story. Um, and the thing that I wanted to really underscore, line, 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 underscore, highlighter that you said, and I'm going to call it the better tomorrow message, right? You said start with the end of the story. Um, start with the end of the payoff. And if you learn how to do that and start with a better tomorrow message, I'd like to tell you how we helped Acme Corporation go from X to Y. That's the better tomorrow story. Now you've got that hook that you talked about, and now you've got the story, which is the once upon a time, let me tell you how we did it. So like you, Acme Corporation five years ago was in a place where they were doing this. And Jan over there, who was their uh, chief operating officer, was trying to do this and struggled time and time again. And then she did this. And then this happened until one day this happened. And when you can teach your reps how to tell these stories, A, they're memorable, 
they're consistent, and you're going to get the same results rather than what you often see between different sales reps is so so much difference between their effectiveness. And I think a big part of that is not so much their sales ability, it's what is how they've been trained and how many at-bats they've had. So take John's advice and join sales and listen in on your SDR calls and hear what they're doing and teach them the stories to tell and watch the impact and engagement that can happen from that. And once you get really good at them doing it on the phone, also help them with their subject lines and their email copy because that's even harder to cut through the, the noise today and get in someone's inbox and get someone to pay attention to uh, an email. Yeah, day in the life, right? I mean, I, I it's funny if if you give uh, give a I think Dave who did this uh, Dave over at Drift did this he's like you know I've been challenged to sell you know in the next month or so and so I'm gonna jump into a sales because he's the he's the VP of marketing over at Drift and um you know and he jumped in and he and he tried to sell and and he's like this is a different world and it's a different challenge and I really recommend marketing sit for a week in a sales reps chair, give, you know, get a hundred leads or whatever it is, make a bunch of phone calls, do some research, send some emails and really, and, and use the marketing messaging for two reasons. One is to understand really what the day in the life is, but two is to understand, you know, how your messaging is actually being delivered. And so that then you could come back and put it. And again, this is the whole theme of our conversation here. You can put it in context to the sales reps to say, hey, look, I use, you know, so say a marketing person is successful selling into a territory, you know, into a subset of clients or something like that. Well, it's probably because they know when to use what messaging for what personas based on their understanding of the ICP and the persona stuff, okay? And the, the assets that that company has. So with that, that is invaluable of showing a sales rep how to use the content where and when and why, as opposed to just telling them way you know oh use this deck use this thing like that that doesn't help anything because me as a sales rep i don't trust it there's been a the, the trust has been broken between sales and marketing because of i think ultimately you know because of the quote-unquote leads right the qualified leads coming from the trade show or whatever it is because every rep has gone through the hey here's a list of quote-unquote hot leads or scored yep. leads or whatever it is and we've spent hours, if not days, if not weeks, calling in ad nauseum to that list and getting zero results, right? Because these people, you know, maybe they dumped their card into a fishbowl because they wanted the squishy ball, but that doesn't mean they're actually interested in our product. So I'm now, but, but now I have to, as a sales rep, call into this list and beat my head up against the wall because I, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't. Right. So that that transition there has really soured a lot of sales reps on the the quality of the marketing leads coming in. And so now when marketing throws something over the fence to us to say, hey, use this, it's like, yeah, whatever. Add it to the fucking list of shit that I have to do. Uh, I'm going to go least path of resistance here and figure out who I can call that's going to get me the shortest term result here. All right. Um, and, and I'm, by the way, I'm not going to give any more feedback anymore because I don't have time to give feedback. So that's why I think we need to sit. If I were to ever start a mar another company, like a you know, big company and build it out, you know, I would sales, usually sales is on the fifth floor, marketing is on the third floor. So I would have sales, marketing, sales, marketing, and then they would sit next to each other. Marketing would be in the bullpen, you know, and they'd, you know, they'd be able to listen, come up with content, give it to the team, have them execute, give feedback, sit through the sales process, see how the customer reacts to a presentation. 
you know, and, 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 you know, falls asleep halfway through a demo, not even halfway through five minutes into a demo when the rep just starts regurgitating what marketing told them to regurgitate, you know, and, and by the way, that's actually a, another piece of the context content. Here's a perfect example. Uh, the demos. <laughs> I hate demos. I absolutely hate demos. Most of them, because most sales reps, start off, hey, thanks so much for your time today, John. I got about a 30 minute demo that I'd like to go through with you. And then they press play effectively. Yeah. And they go through every single slide like they were badged for in boot camp. Yeah. And then they pause intermittently going, does that make sense? Does that make sense? You know, okay. And then at the end, and I don't know if I said this on the first one, but here is something where if you ever hear this word at the end of one of your demos, you know you've done a miserable job as a sales professional. And it's the word digest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. You hear it. It's like, you know what, John, that was really interesting. You know what? I'm going to need a little time to digest what you just told me there. Um, why don't you circle back in a couple of weeks and we'll take it from there. And now to us, to the untrained sales rep, that sounds awesome. Wow. They were so impressed with what I just presented to them that they now need to take some time to digest it. But to the trained salesperson, to the experience, that is a disastrous yeah. result because it is our job to help them digest the information. But the problem is, is that marketing and sales, when we do training for sales through the boot camp, we get them badged on that presentation. We give the, and that's how they graduate, if you will. But we never tell them to make it their own. So, and we penalize them for skipping a slide or not being as detailed on a slide as they should have been during the, you know, during their, during their boot camp part. So that's now burned into their head that I have to go through every single slide here or else I'm not going to get my badge. And the badge now that I'm out in the real world is the customer signing the contract, right? So, but, I'll, you know, Morgan for me, like I'm training him on how to go present, you know, the Jay Barrow slide deck to do training. And I want him to go through everything, but I, I'm telling him, I said, look, I want you to make sure that you can go through every single slide so you know kind of the cadence and the stories and all that other stuff. Yeah. But if I see him deliver today, you know, which is he's last week was his first on-site training. If I see him do it then, and then I come back a month and a half, two months later, and I see him do it again, and if he's delivering the exact same way and he hasn't made it his own and it's still my stories and all that, I'm going to be disappointed. You know, because the, the context should be, hey, I got about a 30 minute slide deck here that I can go through with you. Um, but I'm going to spend the first 10 to 15 minutes talking about what you really want to get out of this. And and then I'm going to kind of cut this 30 minute, 30 slides down to probably the 10 or so that are most relevant to you. Is that cool with you? I mean, what would you rather do as a customer? Have a conversation about your priorities and then be very specific about the components of my solution or drone through a 30 page slide deck? Right, exactly. So. Context content, man. I, I, I really believe that that's the, the thing we got to keep asking ourselves and sales reps got to keep asking ourselves, what can we do that a computer can't? Yeah. Because if you can't, if, if, if a computer can do it, you just got to ask yourself, how much longer are they going to pay me to do this? Yeah. So let's, let's recap um, some points. I want to make sure that people did because you get, shared a ton of great information. Um, one theme is let's, let's umbrella the context and content with the theme of teach your salespeople to be storytellers, you know, teach them the better tomorrow message and arm them with the stories that they can use as they engage with different prospects um, and, and, and teach them how to do that and maybe develop them together. Um, second thing, and I think you shared this, you know, when you talked about um, where does the riff come between sales and marketing? And I think there's a message marketing to you about be a bit empathetic with sales if you understand how sales, you know, all of us get a, a paycheck, right? Every, every twice a month, people get a paycheck. In marketing, 
traditionally, um, it's it's a set amount, and maybe you get a bonus at the end of the year, but it's not really very variable. Um, you get a salary, and you're paid to show up every single day and perform. Salespeople show up every single day and are paid to perform at a base, but their income comes from their commission. And if you, as John said, saddle them with a bunch of shit that they have to do to earn the income, and, and I mean that, there's, I'm going to try to make an acronym out of it. I mean, I won't really, but what I mean is, you know, John talked about the leads. And if you pile on a whole bunch of what's called leads for them to work through, um, it's like the whole Mr. Miyagi thing back at the Karate Kid, where it's like he teaches him to wax on and wax off, but he just wants to learn karate, and he's like, no, you're going to have to do this and get through it. I remember being in Italy with my wife and um, having a cooking class, and the chef mm-hmm. said, do you know how I became a great chef? And I'm like, okay, here's a story, and a great Italian accent, I won't try to replay. But he said, you know, when I told my dad I wanted to be a, a, a chef, which, by the way, the story ends where he's a chef at the White House. So, you know, he's top of his game. His dad took a pickup truck filled with potatoes, backed it up to the house, dumped it in the backyard, and handed him a potato peeler and said, start peeling potatoes. And he, he demoed to me how fast he can peel a potato, but he said at the time he hated his dad. He didn't even realize that that was a training class, that he was going to learn how to prep food and how to do it quickly. Um, we're not doing that to sales, right? We're, we're, we're trying to help them grow the business. And, you know, if you just dump a whole bunch of unqualified leads on sales that they've got to pluck through, are you really helping them be heroes and be successful? Are you creating alignment? And I'm going to bolt onto that, John, a second thing, because we just went through this at DemandGen. We went through every lead view, every contact view, every account view, and every opportunity view in Salesforce with sales and marketing. We went through every view, every field, and said, less is more, let's spring clean and get rid of anything in our CRM that doesn't belong there. Why did we do that? For time and efficiency. Because part of the other thing that we're abusing sales with is saddling potentially with too much sales enablement technology and a cluttered up CRM that's horribly ineffective for them to use. So my Mm -hmm. other tip for you is not only just get that alignment with sales, but live a day in the life using the CRM from a sales perspective and realize okay. how inefficient it can be, how you know challenging it is to pick a pick list value that's not really well documented or understood, where the sections are laid out. And you know, the, these CRMs over time look like an episode of Hoarders and it's really horrible. And, and marketing gets frustrated. I wish they would just check the box here. It's like, well, you have to go walk in their shoes to know how time consuming it is. You're, you're so excited to get someone on the phone in sales that you know, for them you to get work your way through a cluttered CRM. So, if you want to get better alignment, teach them how to be storytellers. Be a bit more empathetic by walking in their shoes. And when sales and marketing is really well aligned and just a dynamic team, you guys can move mountains together. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'll add one more piece because it, it really is everything that you just said there is, and I think I brought this up on the last podcast, but it, it, the whole concept of sell to the twenty percent. You know, the whole 80-20 rule, it couldn't be more relevant across the board. I I fundamentally believe in that. And, you know, I I believe if you pick any product or service that you own, I guarantee you only use about 10 to 20 percent of the functionality, whatever that product or service is. So with that, I almost guarantee that, that, no, with that, that's the way people buy, right? People only buy 10 to 20 percent of what you're selling them. 
And so what we need to do is we need to figure out what that 10 to 20% is and then hone in on that with materials and messaging and all that other stuff to really focus. And that, that 10 to 20% is aligned with the priorities of the business and what they're trying to get accomplished, right? Because at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, when, when your CEO stands up in the beginning of the year and says, these are the three things that we got to accomplish here this year to be successful. If your solution can't align to those, then good luck selling anything. So I believe that it is really our job to, you know, figure out what is that 20% for the client and sell to that. And then from a marketing standpoint for sales, like what's the 20% that the sales rep needs to be effective? Don't give them all 100% because they're not going to be able to digest that. There's just no way a human being can internalize all that content and information. What is the stuff that we can give a sales rep to be dangerous enough to identify opportunities, ask the right questions, present the components of the solution that are most relevant, and tell that story and get that person hooked up so that then we can maybe bring them into a more detailed conversation with a solutions engineer or somebody like that, whatever. But that 20% is is what you just said there, with all those different examples, you know, it's it's what what matters. What's the twenty percent of the CRM that you really, that, you know, there's eighty percent of the CRM. Yeah, there's fields in there, but you put fields. It's just like any house, right? When my wife and I moved into, we moved from an eight hundred square foot apartment to a three thousand square foot house. And I remember the first time we we moved into this house, I was just like, I'm, we we lived in one room. We literally lived in one room, <laughs> and I and I kept because that's all the furniture that we had. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, we just way overdid it here. Like, why do we need a house this big? This is totally absurd. We're never going to be able to fill this house. And sure as shit, sixty days, you know, uh, six months later, house is filled with a bunch of crap, and my wife's complaining we we need more space. It's the same thing with like a CRM, right? You open up every field in CRM, and you, people are going to fill it with crap. Yeah. But you open up the 20% that's the most relevant that you're going to get 80% of the value out of and you let them fill that in and then you gather good data, good information. Same thing with lists. As you dump lists into your CRM, dump, you know, the good lists in and, you know, not just the ones you got because they were free. You know, so I think that theme there, context, content, sell to the 20%, um, you know, sit in the shoes of people so that you can understand, you know, what they go through and get the feedback loop directly and not wait for them all helps move the dial in the right direction, at least, so that we can start working together a lot more effectively. Totally agree. And very glad to have you back on the program, John. Thank you so much. I'll let you get back to it. Let everybody get back to it. I hope you have uh, all enjoyed us, uh, John and I you know, bringing sales training and marketing mastery together. Um, you know, the world is really um, a fusion of sales and marketing when it comes to the, the business world. And the more that you understand um, the roles, as, as we've been talking about on both sides, um, you know, sales, if you're listening, and I know some of you are, take a couple days in marketing and create some content, you know, create some visuals, work on some PowerPoint slides, uh, write some copy, you know, um, it's challenging. It's not, it's not easy. Neither job is easy. Um, together, you're a much stronger force. Um, that's going to wrap it up. I do want to let you guys know I have got some great additions coming on to Demand Gen Radio uh, in the next uh, coming weeks. I've invited a number of our clients, what I call agents of change, to be on the program and share you their success stories and things that they've done, their better tomorrow um, stories. So looking forward to that. John, thanks again. Great to have you on the program. Thanks, David. Have a great one. All right. That's going to wrap it up, everybody. Have a great day. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world. 
to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 